Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning. You look good. Can I say that? Is that okay? It's not like creepy, is it? Because I don't want to be. I don't want you to be creeped out. But like seriously, just uh, just standing up here, uh, standing from over there, playing guitar. You know, you just, you look good. So good job. Well done. Whatever you did this morning, do it again tomorrow. So uh, yeah, right on. Uh, my name's Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at uh, Vertical Church, man, and we're super excited that you're here today. Uh, we're excited that you're here to celebrate baptism with us. We we love baptism. We do it right out on the sidewalk, so it really is uh, going public. You know, I was baptized. I've told this story a million times, plus one. Uh, I was baptized in a creek in West Virginia next to my Aunt Flossie's house. Uh, all of that rings of redneck preacher. So uh, let's just skip that and, and move on. We're in the middle of a series called Supernatural, where we are looking at uh, the book of Acts to ask the question, uh, how do we live this life? How do we live the life that Jesus made possible? Like uh, the, the, the subtitle, Empowered to Live Like Jesus. We've been looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, how how he comes to empower us to live like Jesus because he empowered Jesus to live like Jesus. If you know what I'm saying? Like that was the first week. Then last week we looked at the, the actual coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and how uh, the, the, the question that we get distracted in the text and end up missing is how will we respond when he comes? When the Holy Spirit comes, how will we respond? Will we, will we reject him or will we receive him? And so we spent some time last week just... Uh, trying to receive him, trying to, um, that's getting on my last nerves, uh, trying to receive him, trying to welcome him into our lives. And so uh, this week we're going to pick up there. We're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we're going to go to the end of chapter two, though, and kind of do a, a flashback thing, if you will, if you're familiar with those kinds of TV shows. Uh, so let's, no introduction, let's just jump straight into it. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you have a Bible, that's where we're going to start. If you don't have a Bible, just check out the screen behind me. This is kind of a summary statement, if you will. Luke is summarizing um, what has happened in the church and, and the movement, this thing that the Spirit of God is doing in the church. And he says this, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Meaning they devoted themselves to what the, the, the apostles, the 12 apostles, disciples, whatever you want to call them, uh, were teaching and preaching from the scripture, and then they hung out with each other a lot. They were, they were more than friends. We call that fellowship. Uh, to the breaking of bread, communion, and they just like to eat. Okay, hello, somebody. Like, if you like to eat and you like to eat after church, then me and you, we can have some fellowship uh, because I like to eat after church and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There was this e e enormous, extraordinary generosity, you know? You're going to talk about money today. No, I'm not going to talk about money. That's another week in the sermon series, but uh, not this week. If I tell you what week it is, you won't show up, so I'm not going to tell you what week it is. Um, <laughs> But it's just it's uncommon generosity. And generosity looks good on everybody, right? Like nobody likes gator arms when you go to the restaurant. You know what gator arms are? Let me get that. <laughs> it's 
all he's saying. Generosity was good. Everybody likes generosity. Some of y'all are going to get that later. When you go to the restaurant today and somebody's like, let me get that for you. Oh, gator arms. Okay. Uh, where are we at? Verse uh, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there's just this joy overflowing in the community. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then check this out. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's amazing, right? Like, just, just if, if you've never read that, I would encourage you to like go back and read it again. If you've ever wondered, like, what is church supposed to look like? Read that. Like, I think that paragraph is probably every pastor's dream for what their church would look like. Uh, because, because for many people, this passage represents the perfect church, like the prime example of what it means to be church. Uh, people are, are, are devoting themselves to the, to the message, the content, the, the scriptures. They're hanging out. They're doing life together. They're eating together. They're having communion. They're praying. Um, they're, they're enjoying each other's company. They're, 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 their hearts are glad. They're generous people. Uh, and, and everybody likes them because of what's going on in their community. And then the Lord is just adding people every day. People are coming to know Christ. And for many people, this is it, man. Like, this is what we are striving to reach or get back to or however you think about it is this. But I've got a question that I want to try to answer this morning with you. How did they get there? Like, like how did they get here to the end of Acts chapter 2? Like, what was their message? What was their content? What were they, what were they doing? What were they teaching? What were they, what were they preaching? How were they interacting? What was the, 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 the ethos of the community? What was, what was the, the, the MO of their, of their fellowship? What, what was it about them that brought them to this place? And so, like I said just a minute ago, we're going to kind of do a flashback. This is the picture of the future, but before we can get there, let's rewind uh, half a chapter, go back to the earlier part of chapter two to kind of see how we get here. There are four things, four characteristics, four highlights, four takeaways, four whatever you want to call them, that when I read uh, this section of Acts that I come away with and I think, man, that would contribute to a church that looked like the end of Acts chapter two. If we could, if we could embody that, then, then there's a chance that we might end up being the kind of church that Luke describes at the end of the chapter. So if you have a Bible, like I said, jump back to verse 14. We're going we're gonna to rewind. We're going to flash back. Uh, basically what has just happened is, is the Holy Spirit has descended upon the followers of Jesus in the upper room. They've burst out onto the streets. Now the street people are asking what is going on. Some people are saying they're drunk. Other people are just you know amazed and perplexed, wondering what is this? And then on that day, verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now, let's just pause right there. Who stood up? Peter. Peter stood up. Now, just think about that for a second. Those of you who are familiar with the story of the New Testament, think about, think about that. Like, Peter, if you don't know who Peter is, Peter is the guy who so often in the, in the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter is a guy who gets it wrong so many times. 
So many times Peter gets it horribly wrong. There was one time when Jesus was arrested, okay? The the soldiers came and he cut a guy's ear off. Y'all, like he went Vincent Van Gogh on somebody else. He cut it and then Jesus had to heal the guy's ear back. And he's like, look, don't pull out your sword right now, man. Just stick it back where it goes and let me heal this guy's ear. You don't need that right now, bam. And so Peter, Peter got it wrong when Jesus was arrested. One time, one time Jesus was giving out nicknames to people and he called Peter Satan. I don't know what kind of nickname you had growing up. I had two and I'm not going to share them because one I don't care about and one's a little embarrassing. Um, so I'm not going to go there. But I don't know if you've ever had a nickname that you like didn't really enjoy. Well, can you imagine if Jesus called you Satan? Like that's what happens to Peter. Seriously, Peter, Peter confronts Jesus and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How would you feel if your if your, you know, mentor, your the, the person that you looked up to looks at you and says, and you're acting like Satan, you're such a devil. And some of y'all have said that this morning to your spouse and you probably need to repent. OK, but that's a different that's a different message series. Uh, Peter denied Jesus. This is what Peter's famous for, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. He watches Jesus get arrested. He tells Jesus, I'll never, I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. And then he gets, he gets confronted by a middle school girl. And he's like, I don't know, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know this man. Have you ever done that? Like, you don't have to admit that. This is a rhetorical question. But I'll admit it because I'm real vulnerable like that. I have done this. Seriously, I'm not proud of it. It's really embarrassing. I bet it embarrassed Peter when he thought about it. Uh, There was a time when I was uh, a senior in high school, and I was driving around, and me and my buddies were were hanging out, and this is before I met Hope, okay? This is also a little bit before I was saved. So uh, even though I grew up in church, right, Um, we were were trying to uh, find ourselves company for that uh, night at the restaurant, and so um, we had some... We had some Jesus paraphernalia in the vehicle and like, you know, on our bodies and wrists. You know, that's when they wear like wristbands and stuff, right? And seriously, I'm not joking at all, man. This one girl said, what does that mean? Does that mean something about Jesus? And I said, I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't know Jesus. That's embarrassing. That's hard to take. And it's that guy who gets to preach the first sermon in the church. Just think about that for a second. Peter, who so often got it horribly wrong, Peter who denied Jesus, Peter, who said, I don't know the man. He gets to be the guy who stands up on the first sermon to be preached, and he gets to talk about Jesus. You know what that tells me? That tells me the first thing that we need to know about trying to become an end of Acts chapter 2 kind of church. And it's this, denial doesn't mean disqualification. That's what, it, that's, that's what Peter standing up, that's what Peter getting to preach the first sermon in the church tells me, that denial doesn't mean disqualification. It reminds me that God will meet you right where you are. Whatever it looks like, even if where you are is a place of denial. Look, for some of you, this isn't your first try at church. For some of you, you went to church as a kid or you went to church as a young man or as a young woman and you were all in with Jesus and then there was a point in your life where you turned and walked away. And you, you did the same thing that Peter did, except, except you know, you weren't looking at Jesus about to get beat down, right? But, but you did the same thing and you denied him. And you know what's good news for you? Denial doesn't mean disqualification. If, even if your life is in a place of denial right now, Jesus will meet you right there. You see, we look at Peter's life and all we see is the mess, right? 
Like we see the mess of all the mistakes. We see the mess of somebody who shoots their mouth off too fast. We see the mess of somebody who doesn't have a backbone, whose spine looks more like a jellyfish, right? We see, we see the mess, but when God looks at Peter, God sees a messenger. And he chooses Peter to preach the first sermon. And maybe today your life looks more like a mess than a message. Maybe today your life looks more like all the things that you've gotten wrong in it, all the ways that you've gone the wrong way, all the, all the tendencies that you have to, to, to steer your life in the wrong direction. But what you need to understand is that your life isn't just what you can see. It's, it's about what God is capable of seeing beyond you. Because, because God can see into your life and he can see not just what you're capable of, but what he's capable of through you. You see, Peter is about to do something that is totally unexplainable outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Peter's about to preach a message that launches this, this movement of God in the world, and he cannot do that in himself. And so, so Peter's life isn't explainable unless the Spirit of God is, is, is in him. I don't want to live my life in a way that is explainable outside of the presence of God. I don't know if you're there, but that's where I'm at. Like, I don't want to live in such a way that people look at me and say, well, he can do that. He can accomplish that. He's a really smart guy. He can put some words together and, you know, and, you know, convince people of what he's trying to say. I don't want to live that way. I want people to look at my life and say, that guy's not smart enough to say what he's saying. That guy isn't, that, that guy, that guy isn't, isn't good enough to go where God's taking him. So his, his life is only explainable by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look, if God can use Peter, God can use anybody. <laughs> and that includes you. And that includes me. That's the first thing that I see in this passage, that denial doesn't mean disqualification. So I don't know where you are in your life, in your life walk right now, in your journey. Even if where you're at is not a place that's good, you're not disqualified from being part of this, of this church that God is, is creating and birthing. Let's keep on going. Let's, uh, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And here's what he said. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which has always really made me laugh. Like, like, well, if it was nine at night. Are you saying there's a good chance they might be? You know what I mean? Like, it's only nine in the morning. They're not, they haven't had their mimosas with their breakfast yet, and, and that's not what we're doing. But come back later tonight, and we'll turn it up, you know? I've always wondered that. I don't know. Anyway, he says, they're not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I like the way that I, I memorized this passage, like in the King James Version. This is that. <laughs> what you see here, this is that. Let me tell you about that. So he goes and starts quoting this prophet Joel from the Old Testament. Joel says this, verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders. And then he moves into this kind of apocalyptic end of the world language. I will, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then he, 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 he concludes this quotation with verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, up until this moment, God had, God had acted by his spirit, uh, but it had only been one person here or, or maybe one or two righteous people over here. Or, or, or let me find a king and let me anoint a king or, or let me find a prophet or, or a priest or a really righteous woman or a righteous man. But God now, this is what Peter's telling us by quoting Joel, God now is doing this new thing with this sudden burst of divine energy. The sudden burst of divine Holy Spirit being released on all people. Which is the second thing that I think characterizes these, this whole passage. That the move of the Spirit, and I love this phrase, is inclusively exclusive. Let me explain what I'm talking about because y'all don't are not tracking with me yet. But by the end of it, you will think this is really great. The move of the Spirit is inclusively exclusive. Peter is showing us that God is pouring out his spirit on all people, inclusive. Look, at, look, look back at what he says. he says. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, meaning there is no gender bias when the Lord starts pouring out his spirit on all people. So men, women, boys, girls, everybody can get in on it. Gender does not disqualify you from being part of what God's doing. Look at look at what he says. He says, he says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. There is no ageism in the move of God. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. You might think that you're li- you've, you've already lived the best days of your life, but God says, hold on, I'm doing a new thing in the earth. Your best days are ahead of you because even if you're old, I can still cause you to dream dreams. And even if you're young, I can give you visions of what your life and what I can do through you. He says on my servants, which is just a PC word of saying, you know, even on the slaves. So your social class is no, uh, uh, not a determining factor of whether or not you can receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No matter what class you find yourself in, upper class, middle class, lower class, no class, right? Um, Some of y'all have no class there, not going there. Not going there. This is inclusive language. He's saying everyone. He wraps it up and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. This is inclusive. No discrimination. Sons and daughters, young and old, free and slave. There is an inclusivity to the move of God when he starts pouring out his spirit. Genders, all, you know, both genders, good to go. All ages, good to go. All social classes, good to go. Because see, there's a tendency in human culture to separate when, when, when we start, you know, when we start gathering together, we have this tendency in our culture to gather together with people who look just like us and act like just, just like us and think just like us. And, and if we don't separate, then we're forced to assimilate. You see, pay attention to what I'm saying. Either in our culture, either everybody stays separate or everybody is the same. Either, either, either we, we have our differences and we don't mingle or we remove all differences and we all have to be completely the same. But that's not what Peter's saying. That's not what Joel is saying. They're preaching unity, not uniformity. 
We all don't have to look the same. He's not saying, look, when the spirit comes, there'll be, you know, you will, you'll lose your sonship and sons will become daughters and daughters will become sons. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a son, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. If you're a daughter, I'll pour out my spirit on you. If you're, if you're free, spirit. If you're slave, spirit. If you're old, spirit. If you're young, spirit. There's no discrimination. It's inclusive. We are together, but we are not the same. But it's, remember, inclusively exclusive. There is, a, there is an exclusive element to the move of God. What did he say? He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. See, he's saying, look, everybody can get in. You just have to get in through Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. I have no idea how that even happened. Like YouTube, kids, YouTube just started automatically playing on my phone. Listen, I have the thumbprint thing to turn my phone on. I have no idea how that happened. That is weird. Um, back to what we were saying. Jesus, he's saying, he's saying anybody can get in on this. This is open to everybody. You just have to come through Jesus. It's inclusively exclusive. Jesus is the exclusive way to God. There is no other way by which men or women may be saved but through Jesus Christ. It's inclusive. Anybody can come exclusive through Jesus. So again, like we've said all, every week of the series, it's still all about Jesus. Everybody can come into the family of God provided you come through Jesus Christ. Which means it's all level. It's all equal. None of us can get in on our own merit. We get in through Jesus. None of us can get in because we were born into the right family. We come in through Jesus. If we call, all come in the same way. There's no discrimination in the family of God. There's no hierarchy in the family of God. We all are here by one person and one person only, Jesus Christ. So Peter keeps preaching and he preaches about Jesus. And I'm not going to read the rest of his message, but here's the summary of his message. All right, you ready for this? This is what Peter says. Jesus is Lord. You killed him. God raised him. Now you better say you're sorry. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's his whole message. Like he quotes different passages in the Old Testament, but the gist of it is Jesus is Lord. You killed him. God raised him. Now you better say you're sorry. Look, that's what he, that's what he says. Verse 37. Let's jump all the way down to verse 37. So he preaches this message and then now it's come time for the people to respond. And here's what they say. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It means they, he really got them. Like they, they really feel in the conviction of the Holy Spirit and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? Well, what do we do? And then Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. All, for all, 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 exclusive, inclusive, all whom the Lord our God will call, which includes me and you. Like, we're part of this. Have you ever been skiing? I know that's like, that's a perfect transition, right? Like that's a complete 180. Right? Like some of us have uh, whiplash because of that transition. Have you ever been skiing? Yeah, I, I grew up in West Virginia and that's sad to say this, but I never went skiing until I moved away. <laughs> West Virginia has some incredible ski slopes and I never went on one of them until I moved away. And then uh, while Hope and I were dating, 
I thought it'd be a really great idea to purchase ski lessons for the two of us. We went and stayed with my mom and then drove one day to the ski resort, took our ski lessons, crashed a bunch, and then went back to my mom's house uh, because that's what your first day of skiing looks like, a lot of crashing. Um, but I have, one, I have one lesson, and this is all that I learned. This is all that I know about skiing. I've been several times again, and this is still all I've got. Pizza. You know what pizza means? Pizza, pizza, okay, skis, right? You got two big boards strapped to your feet. Pizza is when you turn your legs like this, and the front of them you try to get to touch, like point, and the back of them are spread wide like a piece of pizza. This is how they taught me to stop. Pizza, right? So you're going, and then you spread your legs, pizza. Now let me tell you, pizza is killer on the legs. Like it will rip your legs, and you won't be able to walk the next day. But while I was a youth pastor, it was about seven or eight years ago, I thought, you know what would be really fun? Let me take a group of middle school and high school students skiing. <laughs> that would be great. And it was. It was fun. I called my friend Nick, uh, who, who lived in Florida at the time. I was like, hey, you want to go skiing with me and a bunch of uh, middle school and high school students? He said, yeah, it sounds great. Now, my friend Nick is a really good skier. Like, he's got the, all the moves, right? Like, he can, he can turn, which I can't do doing pizza. But, um, but, but he went with me, and we get on the, on the ski lift, right? And when your friend is like Nick, your friend will convince you to go all the way to the top of the mountain. At which point, the only choices you have of getting back down are yellow trails, black trails, and double black diamond trails, okay? And all you've got in your pocket is pizza. (laughs) And so, what do you do? There is a point to this story. What do you do? What do you do when you get to the top of the ski slope? And you come off of the off the ski lift and you find yourself heading in the wrong direction towards a double black diamond cliff of a slope. What do you do? What do you do? All you've got is pizza. You can't stop that quickly. Well, if you're like me, what you do is you find your friend who talked you into going up to the top of the ski slope and you direct yourself towards him, and you crash <laughs> into him, for hope, hoping that if you crash into him, you'll fall on the ground and stop before you go tumbling over the edge. And that's what I did. I, I, I crashed into my friend Nick. Now, why, why, why am I telling that story? Because in a weird sort of way, I think the way I felt coming off of that ski slope, or coming off of that ski lift and finding myself heading towards this double black diamond cliff, is exactly how the listeners of of Peter's sermon felt when they heard Peter preach. Peter, what do we do? If what you said is true, what do we do? We have no no hope. We have no chance. We are heading towards the double black diamond ski, you know, slope cliff thing, and we're going to die. And we can't stop. What do we do? It says they were, they were cut to the heart. Peter, what do, we, what do we do? How do we fix this? And Peter says, here's how you fix it. You repent. You, you, you stop and you turn around and go the other direction. But Peter, we can't stop. We can't, we can't, we, we, we don't understand. We're heading in this direction and we can't stop. Okay, there is someone to rescue you. My whole message has been about Jesus, and he, he can help you stop and turn around 
See, you're living your life. You're doing your thing. The Holy Spirit's convicted you. You felt cut to the heart. And all of a sudden, you're looking at your life. You're like, you know, this isn't right. This isn't, you know, this is wrong. I don't want to live this way anymore. I need to change. I need to, I need to, I need to fix. I need to, I need to get right. But who's going to help me get right? And Peter says, Jesus, you need to repent, acknowledge you're heading in the wrong direction, and invite Jesus to turn your life around. See, this is the third thing in the church that I think brings us to this um, summary in Acts chapter 2 is that repentance is received, not resisted. Repentance is received, not resisted. Here's the big idea, right? Uh, you're, you're either heading towards Jesus or you're heading towards sin. Like, like I have never met a person yet who said, you know what, Pastor Josh, man, just like the more and more I get to know Jesus and the closer I get to Jesus, the worse I become and the more sin I commit. You know, never met that person yet. Because the two are diametrically opposed, right? Like Jesus and sin and repentance is acknowledging that my face is heading towards sin. My back is towards Jesus and I need to turn my face towards Jesus and my back towards sin. That's what repentance means. And telling somebody they need to repent isn't mean. It isn't harsh. It's not offensive. It's telling somebody, listen, bro, all you got is pizza in your ski pockets and you're heading to a double black diamond cliff and you're going to crash and hurt yourself if you don't turn around. But notice this. Who's Peter talking to? Just, 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 just go with me here, right? Like, go with me. Who's Peter talking to? Rewind back to verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. Look at this on the screen. Verse 5. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. God-fearing. Jews. These are people who knew the story of God. These are not outsiders. These are insiders. These are not pagan heathens. These are, these are people who should have known. These are people who've had the message. These are, if you want to pull it into a modern day kind of uh, thought process, these are religious church people. These are not outsiders. You see, there's a tendency in the church to take the gospel and turn it into a club and beat people over the head with it. Like, like here, here's we just need to tell all the sinners how much sinning they're doing by all that sin. Well, wait a second. Peter preached repentance first to the God-fearing Jews, to the church people, to the religious. The first time repentance and forgiveness in Jesus is preached in the, in, in the church, it's for God-fearing people to repent of their religion. You need to repent of all the ways that you thought you could get yourself in the good graces of God by working hard enough and being good enough and measuring good enough and hitting all the right, you know, hitting all the right answers and checking all the right boxes. You need to repent for thinking you could save yourself. That's interesting, isn't it? Repentance is first preached to church people, not to outsiders. You need to repent of all the all, you need to repent for the ways your traditions and rituals have caused you to resist what Jesus is doing. That's interesting. Let's move on. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. I said there were four things, and here's we're getting close to the fourth thing, and then we're going to wrap up. 3,000, that, 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 numbers, 
That number's an interesting number, right? Like, just to be honest with you, I have, I, I, one of my prayers is that, is that here at Vertical Church, we would see 3,000 people come to know Jesus in a year, right? Like, they saw it in a day, I'm praying in a year, we're not there right now, right? Like, I'm kind you know, whether you want to call it a vision or a dream, that means I'm either young or old, I don't really care, but that's one of my prayers. I want to see 3,000 people come to know Jesus in a year at Vertical Church. I think that'd be awesome. We're going to get there one day by the grace of God, but we're not there yet. But 3,000, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of amazing. That's a huge number, right? And it's a really significant number. The last couple of weeks, I've told you that, that Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It was a festival that the Jews celebrated dating all the way back into the Old Testament. When, when Moses came to Egypt, right, and we saw the Passover and, you know, let my people go. I will not let them go. Let them go. Yes, you better let them go. And then, and then God does what God does and we celebrate Passover when the Jews come out, when Jesus goes on the cross, all that stuff, right? Then Pentecost was 50 days later when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the law from the Lord, comes down, gives it to the people. Here's how you should live. We drew some connections last week, said that's really interesting. Interesting because Jesus ascends into heaven, sends down the Holy Spirit to live in us. Here's how you should live in my world with my spirit through this way. But there's even another step to this. And it all centers around this number 3,000. I want you, I'm going to show you this real quick and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, the context, let me take you to Exodus chapter 32. Moses has been on the mountain a long time. The people down at the foot of the mountain are getting antsy. They want Aaron to make them an idol. So he grabs all the gold, makes a golden calf. Moses comes down. He says, what are you doing? And look at what happens. Verse 25, Exodus chapter 32. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Verse 28, the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, the day they received the law, about 3,000 people died. Do You see that? The day the law came, 3,000 people died. The day the Spirit came, 3,000 people stepped into life. Do you see that? Do you see the difference between trying to live your life according to the law or live your life according to the Spirit? You see, New Testament tells us over and over again that the law, which was powerless to do because it was corrupted by our sinful nature, the law, which brought death, has been, has been, has been superseded by the law of the Spirit that brings life. On the day the law came, 3,000 people died. But on the day the Spirit came, 3,000 people received life. Here's the fourth thing that I think characterizes this move of God that brings us to the end of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter two. Death in the law is exchanged for life in the Spirit. I want to be the kind of church that gives life to people. I don't want to be the kind of church that kills people. <laughs> I don't want to be the kind of church that makes people try to measure up to some, some, uh, you know, some, some standard that, that they could never measure up to. I want, I want to be the kind of church that tells people that there is a great God who isn't angry at the world, but, but wants the world to experience life 
in Jesus. I want to tell people that there's a God who's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He loves you and he, he sent his son into the world. He doesn't demand that we clean ourselves up before we come to him. He doesn't demand that we change all the things in our lives that, that, that aren't right before we can step in and meet him. But he has taken it upon himself to be the way that we can have a relationship with him, he has taken it upon himself to offer us life in the place of death. To offer us hope in the place of despair. To offer us freedom in the place of slavery. To offer us trust in the place of fear. And when you see that, when, when they saw that, no wonder 3,000 people signed up on the first day. Right? You mean, my, you mean all of my mistakes, my denial, that doesn't disqualify me? No. Wow. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's incredible. You mean anybody can get in as long as they come in through Jesus? Absolutely. Whoa. You mean, you mean I don't have to resist repentance, but repentance actually brings me life? Absolutely. I don't have to measure up to a law that, that no one can and just experience death. I actually get to live by the Spirit of God. Yes. Life. A wonder. And so I want to ask you the same question that, that the crowd asked Peter on that day as we get ready to wrap up. What do you do now? What are you going to do now? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you see that this thing called the church is about people who, who, who denied and a mess, all, all jacked up and, and, and have all kinds of issues and stuff in our, in, our, in our luggage, all kind of baggage hanging around our neck, but that, none of that disqualified us from being part of the family. What are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to do when you see that, that, that this movement of God is inclusively exclusive? As long as you come through Jesus, anybody's welcome. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do when, when you realize you don't have to resist repentance? You can walk into repentance. What are you going to do when you have the opportunity today to exchange death for life? If you're getting baptized today, I want you to... Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.